Our listeners know there's a lot changing in our country, and that might make you concerned about where things are headed. But you can take action to make sure that you're confident about your financial future by getting smart about money. Smart About Money is a free website brought to you by the National Endowment for Financial Education, a nonprofit dedicated to helping Americans take control of their financial lives. Smart About Money's articles and courses are designed to answer your unique money questions and learn at your own pace. Each course takes between 45 and 90 minutes, and you can always bookmark your page and come back later if you run short on time. Use their free online courses to make a financial plan and learn how to build an emergency fund, take charge of your housing expenses, and plan on living the life you envision in retirement. You might be thinking, well, nothing's really free. What's the catch? But with Smart About Money, there is no catch, no hidden agenda, no cost ever. Visit our special page at smartaboutmoney.org slash friends to get started and find the tools and articles that Smart About Money recommends to our listeners. That's smartaboutmoney.org, O-R-G, slash friends. And we thank them for sponsoring this podcast. Hi, this is Anna Marie Cox, and welcome to With Friends Like These. It's a very special holiday episode, and by special, I mean it is a rerun. But it's a very special rerun. Uh, we went back through the archives and picked out some of our favorite guests. And this is one that I knew we had to include. It is my interview with Rembert Brown. It is pegged to his profile of Colin Kaepernick that ran in the Bleacher Report. But it is about a lot more than that. Um... It is one of the conversations that has been the most meaningful to me personally in doing this show. And it is one of the conversations that's generated the most interesting uh, email and reflection from people who have talked to me about it. So I hope you enjoy this encore presentation. And the internet does not know a lamb who's difficult to kill. So few things are riskier than stepping out before you're fully polished. That catch-all woke, meaning everything and nothing, is overused now, not as a sticker for the well-informed and intentioned, but as a stamp of disapproval for those who have messed up and therefore aren't. To be a work in progress is nearly unacceptable because the currency that drives our culture is not self-improvement, but instead the ongoing erosive process of each person on each side designating who is wrong and who is right. You've got to give people space to develop thought, mature, and change course, the political commentator Angela Rye tells me about Colin, about all of us. She, like many, was a vocal supporter of Colin, but had a moment of skepticism after he proudly spoke about not voting. The days and weeks and months, the year... After the election, were an easy time to point fingers considering the outcome. But after the anger, Rye says, comes the process of remembering the people who truly cause change in this country. All of our advocates and protesters and agitators don't come from perfection. The clear, overt racism is a beast in itself to fight without the faux liberalism further complicating the matter. But the race to unity is and has always been a trap. The inconvenience that is Colin Kaepernick brings this denial to the forefront, a presumption that this country is anywhere near a hug. We've talked about shit, but we haven't talked through anything. For white Americans to accept that things are bad and then to just jump ahead to Kumbaya and I'm with Cap is a profoundly deep-seated defense mechanism for our hiding from what white America did and continues to do to the rest of us. The artist Kara Walker recently wrote... You must hate black people as much as you hate yourself. A subtitle for a new work, but it could be this country's permanent headline. The truth hurts white people. Colin Kaepernick has hurt white people, and that is why it's convenient to banish him, because he holds America's worst nightmare, the mirror. And while the genuine apologies from the most Black Lives Matter sign and front yard white person are endless, there's a real difference between guilt and understanding. Understanding that nothing will change unless you and people like you fix the mess that you unfairly inherited from which you so unfairly still benefit right now. Damn, did I write that? I know. That's fire. That is fire. It got to me, man. That's fire. I'm happy with that. I was in a, I was in a mood. You should be happy with like it. For like the past I've, like I six read or that. seven years. <laughs> you have been in a mood for the past seven years. Well, I, wanted, I don't even know where to begin. That piece is is amazing. Um, 
that excerpt. I appreciate it. I reread that excerpt several times, which is why I asked you to read it. And it got to me all over again hearing you talk. Um, I wanted to sort of address the elephant in the room right away, which is that um, I understand that you've held um, some long simmering resentment about not being an Obama speechwriter. Uh. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's uh, it's 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 funny. My my life is coming full circle a lot. Like uh, I I wanted to be a speechwriter. Uh, I I got very close to working for Obama in. Um, on his social team in what was that twenty for the twenty twelve election, but didn't get it. Um, and I was salty for years. But then I started to meet my my writing life, and people that worked in Obama started to we started to veer towards each other again. And there was some there was some grass is greener um, that um, continued for the duration of his presidency with some of his employees. Like I, I have one friend who uh, I met with him. I met him for the first time and I walked into his office uh, and it was huge. And he was the same age as me. And I was just so jealous. I was like, this could have been me. And I was just like fawning over his life. And then when it got to be his turn to talk to me, he was like, yo, man, I'm just so jealous. Like, all I want to do is tweet. <laughs> okay, so is is that Pavel? Is that is that no, Cody? It's, it's it's none it's none of it's none of those guys. I mean, okay. as much as they are tweeting right now, it's like eight years of tweets are coming out of those dudes uh, all at once right now. Um, I love them, but uh, yeah, it's it's very funny, like um, how how my life is kind of coming full circle back to some of the people that. Uh, that I once wanted to be or be like. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm happy with this this route that I that I took, which is well, kind of coming be. at the world that I was very interested in from another angle. And I just wanted, if it, it would, I, you say you're kind of over it now, but I wanted to let you know that as it, perhaps this will just, you know, be like a nice ego boost, which is that the Brobamas on Pod Save are extremely resentful that I'm the one that gets to talk to you. So. Yes, I... When I when I found out that uh, they were interested, it made me want to do this podcast even more. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm. <laughs> I feel like I'm in a I'm in a in a constant battle of trolling uh, us trolling each other. All right, so we'll, we'll I feel like I'm why happy. I mean, and I I get to benefit, but like, but let's let's actually go back to the piece. Um, America is a flat circle. Right. Um, that's actually kind of one of the things in the piece, too. Right. Is uh, circling back to like, certain certain injustices, certain um, tropes in American culture. And there's a more subtle ish journey in the piece, too, which is yours. And I I thought maybe my first thing I wanted to ask you about the piece itself was. What did writing and reporting this piece do for you? Like you link in the piece to a tweet about Cap um, from years ago where you make fun of him a little bit, uh, you, something like, um, I am always hoping he's, he's losing his girl, something like that. <laughs> I'm always hoping Kaepernick is in the middle of losing his girl. I gets think. his girl stolen. Yeah. yeah. Getting get his girl stolen. Which, yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I, I was thinking like maybe that <laughs> I was, I was, <clears throat> I had lots of thoughts about why I didn't get a cap interview and I look back at that tweet I was like well, maybe that's why <laughs> <laughs> but so so you you've had you know obviously like not entirely positive feelings about the guy um in his professional career so what what did this what was this piece like for you just in the in the process of writing and reporting it where 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 did you go it was very interesting because the piece the piece was pitched to me very much like a like a a very classic access journalism profile um, Mm -hmm. that happens places, which is like, hey, we got this person. Um, Do you want to do it? And so I I said yes. And as time went on, it became clear that was not, it wasn't going to be as easy as that, you know? And at first I was frustrating um, because I, uh, after years and years of, you know, having to wrangle, uh, my own subjects and do everything. It was very nice. I was like, oh, they just, they got the person for me. Now all I I have to do is, you know, worry about writing the piece. And then my job became 
my own Wrangler again. Mm-hmm. And then my job became figuring out how to write this piece if I never got Kaepernick. And I I think I came to terms with the fact that we weren't going to get him way before anyone else at Bleacher Report. Uh, so I started, and I didn't want it to be the type of piece where, like, it was written... It was written as if the Kaepernick um, interview was going to happen and then we just had this massive hole like waiting like a TK, TK, like like Kaepernick interview quote um, to like insert in the middle. So mm-hmm. I, I started uh, realizing that this needed to be a completely different piece and a piece that was much more about this moment that we were in than uh, really about like 100% about Colin, uh, which I'm happy about because, you know, I I come from, uh, you know, having doing large stints of writing in the music industry, like like writing about uh, musicians and rappers and doing sports stuff. And, you know, once you once you become beholden to the subject, sometimes it's hard to really be as objective and honest as you'd like. And so when it became clear that we weren't going to get him, it was almost like, okay, like I can actually write this thing now, Uh, which I, which I was happy about because, you know, it's just hard to look someone in the face and interview them after you've been, you know, granted the privilege of interviewing them and then go back and really, you know, decide how, you want to write about it. It's not impossible. It's just, it's just harder. It's, it's harder. Like I, I like people and I, when I meet people and talk to them, I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm still a journalist in process and I'm still, uh, I'm still navigating a world of, um, of learning how to report and learning how to do all this stuff. I'm not, I'm not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, but it's when I didn't have to worry about, you know, doing right by the Kaepernick camp, I was, it was like, okay, I can actually like uh, really think about how to do this piece right. So I was happy. Uh, I eventually was pretty happy that I didn't have to worry about that. Well, this piece is in what's known in the journalism world as a write around, um, which means you, yeah. don't, you don't get the subject. Uh, the most famous piece that maybe journalism wonks out there know is Frank Sinatra has a cold by Gay Talese, um, which is the example people point to is like the classic right around. I think this is probably going to live up there with that one. And in a way, it, nice. it's like that piece because what Gay Talese does with that piece is, you know, Frank Sinatra's absence from the piece is a commentary on where he is in our culture. And I think that's sort of, there's a similar thing happening here because there's this beautiful symmetry to Kaepernick not making himself available to you, to the idea that it's not yeah. his job to offer himself up for interrogation. That's one of the you know messages of your piece, I feel like, is he has a job, he's doing it, and it's not to be a celebrity. It's not to like be at the beck and call of people who want to ask him questions about who he is. He's telling us who he is already. Yeah, and I, I think for me... I like writing things very presently, but also thinking about how it reads to the people who are going to click on this. And in doing that, I always have a tendency in pieces to throw myself under the bus a little bit as a way of like furthering a point. Like I, I, I it was very purposeful for me to talk about the the moments in this process and in my past that. I critique the silence, you know, like I, the, the moments where I, I mean, I was, I was literally talking to people in his kind of inner outer circle and kind of being like, yeah, this dude is not talking to me. Like, that's kind of whack, you know, like that was something that at first I didn't have in the story, but it's, it's, it's all a process of like, like, yes, it's, it's okay to have critiqued his silence, but the point is to, you know, you know, think about what you've been doing and get out of that critique. Like it's fine to have like a knee jerk reaction to the way someone 
is behaving or the decision that someone's doing. But at some point, like the hope is to take a step back and analyze what it is you're doing and why why you're thinking the way you're thinking, why you're behaving the way you're thinking. And then this piece, like I I I wasn't just saying outwardly, like you need to respect his all of you need to respect his silence. I was saying that about myself too. I had to learn to respect his silence also. It was a huge shot to my ego that they were saying no to me. And I was like like to the point where I was like, like, why? Like, I can't believe, like, I, I can't believe that they don't understand how this is going to benefit them by talking to me. Uh, like, I, that, that's where my head was at. But by the end, I had a different, I had a different perspective. And I think it's just a, such an amazing, again, kind of this beautiful sort of symmetry or unfolding that you can take that same relationship of don't you think don't you see how this is going to benefit you to talk to me and that is white america's attitude to black people right yeah like don't you see how we can help you you should be behaving in the way we want you to because don't you see and that we have to be the ones i'll speak for white america (laughs) like we have to ask yeah please (laughs) (laughs) you know um uh black people are always expected to speak for black america right um exactly that we have to ask ourselves about our our place in that relationship and be okay with black people's refusing to do the things that we think are in their best interest. Right. Exactly. And I also think that there's another kind of symmetry in there too, which is about the imperfection and process. Uh, Cause I, you know, you, I think very rightly call out white liberals and use a lot of really um, wonderful quotes <laughs> from other black intellectuals calling out white liberals. Uh, that need to be said in this time. Like, even though we have a very important um, fight that we're all in right now, um, that's we, that doesn't mean we need to stop pushing on each other, you know? And yeah, yeah. I, I think that white people sometimes, or okay, I'm, I'll, I'll bring it just to me, to me, which is that when I'm confronted with the bloody heirloom uh, of white supremacy and the the damage it's done and the benefit that it's given me personally to see that bloody history can make me feel like, you know what? I don't even want to know. I'm just going to focus on putting the black lives matter sign in my front yard and I will be nice to my black friends (laughs) and I will talk (laughs) about how awesome Obama is. And because I can't be perfect because my race is already so indicted I don't want to even deal with our indictment. I just want to, I just want to be to answer for myself, you know, Yeah. because the stain is so big. The, the, the amount that my, you know, that his, my history has to answer for is such a, is such a grievous one. It makes you just not want to talk about it at all. And we can't do that either. Yeah. I, it's, I don't know. I, I just, I spent, I had a lot of flashbacks while I was writing the piece, and one of them was uh, that that period leading up to both the election and Thanksgiving of last year, where I felt like I was just beat over the head with people talking about how they, like, you know, those, you know, country family members that they just, like, didn't want to deal with like everyone like people were just always talking about those two Trump supporters that they had in their family and I remember just having conversations leading up to both the election and Thanksgiving being like hey well you know this election thing is happening and I know it's uncomfortable but you know like don't not go home because you don't want to hear or see or be confronted with these family members like these are people that I can't get to because I'm not related to them. <laughs> but like, how about you go try to <laughs> sway the people in your family? And I just remember constantly the response being like, yeah, like I just, I just, uh, you know, and I think a lot of people didn't want to be confronted with that being in their front yard or backyard. And, you know, we ended up with a, a Trump mm-hmm. and I, 
there's no way to blame anyone individually about the election because it's just like I, I kind of hate when people is, are like, "That's not my president." It's like, yeah, it's our he's our president. Yeah, yeah. Trump's and, our president. Like, yeah, he is. Uh, but you know, like that that was um that was something that kept popping up in my head thinking about this piece. It was just the fear of confronting like reality and uh like this pushing away discomfort that's something that i i deal with in my personal life in my real life just like the way to deal with things that make you feel bad is to just like push them away and you know oh like delete that email i don't i don't even want to see the email i'm just going to delete it you know like i, I don't i don't even want to have that hard conversation i'm just going to ignore that person you know those are those are very human things so it makes sense why people do them but we're at this crossroads right now where like we can't afford to to run away from the uncomfortable anymore and i think um that was something that was really important for me to pull out of this piece on Kaepernick because i think a lot of a lot of things surrounding him and a lot of things surrounding the way he's discussed is not hatred all the time or not it's just like this fear of um putting yourself in a position to be uncomfortable because when you begin to peel back those layers it's like it gets very it gets very vivid why so much of the shit we deal with right now like where it stems from it comes from like real dark stuff about our past that you know we'd rather just Hope it figured itself out, because that's easier. With the holidays almost here, indeed, by the time you hear this, the holidays will be here. Who has time to go to the post office? You have other things to do. There's the whole buying and wrapping of presents, the eating of good food, the being with family part. It'll be busy with people sending holiday cards and gifts besides that. So what do we do? What do I do? Use Stamps.com instead. Stamps.com brings all the services of the U.S. Postal Service right to your fingertips. You can buy and print official U.S. postage, any letter, any package, any class of mail using your own computer and printer, and then the mailman picks them up. Stamps.com makes it easy. I am using Stamps.com to mail my own Christmas packages this year. Um, Last year, I did not have a sponsor to plug, and I just went to the post office like everybody else. This year, I can make it much easier on myself. And I can probably also write off some of the stuff that I'm sending because I'm officially a small business. If you are also, and you should think about becoming one, what with the new tax bill and all, becoming an LLC is going to be pretty important. So consider that. And stamps.com is a business expense for you then. And you should use it because it saves so much time and money. And right now you can enjoy stamps.com service with a special offer that includes a four-week free trial plus postage and a digital scale without long-term commitments. Go to stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in friends. That's stamps.com and enter friends. I think listeners to this podcast may feel like I give them conflicting advice on how to deal with conservative family members because I often counsel like don't argue because I don't think that's actually a good idea. Like like coming in for a fight and debating is not going to change people's minds. But I also think that when someone says something bigoted, you can't just let it go, right? Yeah, and, I agree with that. And that it's always good to be like armed with facts about those things and to try and figure out why someone says something like that. And I, I you've made me yeah. think, think of something actually from my own family that has to do with, that kind of encapsulates this Kaepernick, you know, story as well, which is that uh, before the election, sometime, um, I believe it was around Thanksgiving, I was visiting family and we don't agree about some stuff. And I got up earlier than everyone. And usually the television is turned to Fox News. And I turned it to ESPN because <laughs> I was like, uh-huh. not going to start the day that way. Right. Like, we'll just like going to be some good football today. Like, we'll just do game day. It'll be great. You know, start making coffee. Um, one of my male relatives came in and uh, we pour each other. I poured us a cup of coffee, both turned to the TV. And guess what the story <laughs> was <laughs> <laughs> that's funny stick to sports stick to and, sports um, and uh i we both kind of just watch and like i'm i'm thinking to myself i'm not gonna say anything i'm not gonna i'm not i'm just not gonna say anything but this male relative 
like kind of rolls his eyes and sighs and he says, you know, showboater. And I was like, yes, really? (laughs) What a showboater. Yeah. Really? And he said, yeah, you know, and this stuff about him not getting a job, you know, like that's not, that's not the story. It's not because it's, it's, that's, he's not, it's, he's a bad quarterback and you know, and this is an exact quote and I'm, it hurts my heart to say it. He said, it's not because of that. You know, these people don't want to work. Yes. That, how did he, how did he, how did he know? How did he, how did he figure it out? <laughs> and my heart, bro- my, heart, shaking my, my heart breaks to even to just tell you that. Cause this is someone I care about. Right. I know it's fine. It's not fine, but it's, I mean, and it's, and so I said to him, yeah, what, what do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> like, what are you talking about? Exactly. He was like, well, you know, and I said, no, you're really, you're going to have to spell it out for me. And he said, well, you know, it's, they want to be on welfare. And I was like, you're not really. There it is. And he there said, it is. He said, Re-, I said, I was like, really? <laughs> he said, you know, when I was, when I was, I grew up poor and he did. He's like, I grew up poor. Yeah. When I wanted a job, you know, I went and showed that I wanted to work. And I, I was like, so we've, I just want to be clear what you're saying. And, and I, I, now I think I'm going to have to leave the room. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and, and he was like, well, it's true. And I said, I don't think it is, but I'm going to have, we're going to have to stop talking about this. Cause sometimes the silence, sometimes the just immediate walkout, it's like, you need to just sit with yourself and these opinions alone. Cause that's where you deserve to be right now. Like you, you need to, you need to sit and think about this. I, you know, I but the way he went there, the way of, he went there so quickly, it was also, you know what? I'm now that I remember surprised. it was after it was after the election, because I remember thinking as I left the room, he wouldn't have said this two months ago. Mm-hmm. That was actually I remember it now. And I think I shared the story with other people thinking this is what Trump has done to us is that two months ago, that opinion would have been considered not acceptable in polite company. Yeah. But now it is. It's so funny. I start off so calm. Every day. And like, I, even like, even my tone right now, like I, like I, like I, I, I wrote a lot of this piece, not in New York. I like, I, I, I went away for a little bit and like clear my head and needed to get out of New York. And I would start off so calm writing about this. And then like, just, I would see something in the news and I would read something and I would have a conversation and you know, like there are lots of things that I wrote that I took out of this piece because I wrote it like I didn't I don't I don't write angry re- well, but I'm just like it. There there are there are passages in that piece where I'm just like fed up and I know that there there are so many assumptions about uh, minorities in the country that are just like that are, it's it's so frustrating like i i genuinely think there's a there's a school of thought that truly believes that black people like like villainizing themselves and like, like we enjoy protesting we enjoy we enjoy You're being mad troublemakers that's what you are and showboaters as the, yeah. as the term goes and it's like, like you're like drawing attention to yourselves that's what you like Right? Like it's not fun. Like, like <laughs> every black writer that I know is like messed up. It's just like it's it's hard. It's 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 hard to it's been hard to write the past couple of years. And like I know a lot more of us are in therapy than we were than were a couple of years ago. And like for like just to like keep our jobs. And I loved being like the the kid that wrote funny stuff at Grantland like every day. Like I love that. I would love to I would love to do that again. I just can't do it cuz I like the the stakes are too high and I look around and I have like a privileged platform. There's not a lot of 30-year-old black folk that have that can that can write like on that have this much of a platform. So it's like I have to like I don't even feel like I have a choice in the matter. Like mm-hmm. I feel like I have to write this stuff and I'm happy because I, I it gives me something to strive towards and it, it motivates me. But it's also like I'm 
when that piece came out, I was just so tired because like it, I was I was happy that it was out, but that like writing that piece took a lot out of me, and it wasn't always it wasn't very fun yeah. to write, and it wasn't meant to be smiled at um, to read, and I think I, I I know there I feel like every time I write a piece like that, there's like five or six people that just aren't going to see me the same way. And, you know, that's a parallel that I could, a, a lot of people that I talk to, like like a John Legend, when I interviewed him, um, like someone like thinking about Kaepernick, you know, it's like when you make these statements, when you write these pieces, when you say these things, like you are invite, you are basically doubling down on pushing people that once liked you for one reason away from you because you're making them uncomfortable. And like, it's not fun to lose friends, you know, it's not fun to push people away from you. And like, I think that's that notion the same way as like you people like making trouble and like stirring up the pot. It's like, nah, I would rather just, I would, I would rather be carefree and all that stuff. But it's just like we're not we don't have time to that for that right now. It's like the stakes are too high. So yeah. It's a it's a wild world <laughs> to be a writer right now. Well, I think <laughs> I have so many thoughts in response. Um, first of all, I think the the care and the um anger and the passion that you're talking about, I mean, show up in this piece. So thank you for putting them there. Uh, they need to be there and it's an invigorating read, a hard read at times, I think for a white person, but it should be. And the other thing is you are a really funny writer too. And I miss that Grantland stuff. And I loved your bar rescue parody that about your desk. Uh, it's one of my favorite. Remember I, got, pieces? I, think I got, I got, <laughs> I, I got kind of, in, <laughs> the, my, my, my last couple months at ESPN were pretty wild. I know you were just doing I, whatever you wanted kind of, I think. I but. was like <laughs> drinking hypnotic under my desk and <laughs> I had, a, I had a, I had a fish and I got in trouble for having a fish. Like it was, <laughs> the last couple of months were just crazy. I remember I, reading I, that piece thinking like, no one really assigned this. This was not assigned. Yeah. No, no, no. I was just like, um, hello, <laughs> Chris Connolly. Here's, here's, here's my piece on having heartburn from drinking hypnotic at my desk. Uh, sorry. <laughs> Feel free to not run this. I don't care anymore. You are a really funny writer. Speaking and of I, ESPN. I mean, this is another example, though, that, um, you know, the, the work of eradicating white supremacy has often fallen on the shoulders of black people, which is not fair. You know, like you're the ones charged with holding yeah. up the mirror. And a lot of times white people don't even thank you, you know, like and think, but don't uh, hold up uh, that mirror. Stop that. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Mir- mirrors are. Yeah. Yeah. It's like. Yeah, it's. Yeah, mirrors, mirrors, yeah, mirrors. Um, <laughs> Which actually brings mirrors, me to I'm keep saying mirrors. Brings me to the thing that I, yeah. I I emailed you this before we started talking this morning, which is uh, a survey came out. The headline of which was like, you know, white people reject white supremacy, hold white supremacist views. <laughs> I was so mad. I was like, why didn't they release that last week? I could have put that in my piece for some, some, like, it was just, I was like, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. It was I in, mean, I saw it in the root. I don't, they obviously didn't do this survey. Um, but it, it basically goes through like, yeah, if you ask people, do you like Nazis? Guess what? No, they're going to denounce Nazis. That is literally the easiest thing in the world to do that our president couldn't do it. Makes him <laughs> in is why he's such a fuck up and terrible. Whatever. We don't need to get to that. that. That's not hard saying I don't like white supremacy. I don't like Nazis. I don't like the KKK. Um, but then when you ask people like, do white people suffer more now? That's like one of the, one of the questions they were asked. And white people are like, oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, and that's. <sighs> <laughs> yeah i mean it's i don't know what i don't i don't know how to i don't know how to get past that i mean it's really i read i re, after reading your piece i reread tanahisi coates's piece um which i i encourage people to do they're great read in concert because his so much of his piece is about like it is white people even the good white people right good he didn't say that but like 
it's all of it was us. it was good it was it was good timing for those p- two pieces to happen back to back weeks it was nice it wasn't planned shout out to mr Coates. so we have to you know pay for the show material things will not fill the hole in your soul but you should buy them from us anyway and we'll be right back do you ever wonder about where and how your clothes are made Everlane removes the mystery by telling you where your clothes are made and what it costs to make them. They are so upfront and dedicated uh, to this idea. I have actually seen them uh, interact with people on Twitter, giving them screenshots of their website when the person says they couldn't find the information. Um, It's a part of who they are. It's a part of their brand for you to know exactly where your clothes come from and who made them. Because why would you buy a T-shirt for $50 if you knew it only cost $7 to make? You would not. And with Everlane, you never do that. You will never overpay for quality clothes. They make what they call premium essentials using the finest materials without traditional markups. And they tell you their real costs so you know you're never overpaying. Everlane wants you to know what you're paying and why you are paying it. They are radically transparent about every step in their process from the materials they use to the ethical factories they work with. And because Everlane sells directly to you, their prices are 30 to 50% lower than traditional retailers. Everlane's clothes look better, cost less, and last longer. I have several Everlane things that I am into. Uh, I think I spoke about the shoes once, and I was talking about the higher, um, longer toe covering part. I have now learned that's called a vamp. So they have a really cool high vamp. Um, And what that means for me here in Minnesota is it keeps my toes just that much warmer, uh, which I love. Uh, I also love their cashmere sweaters, um, which are beautifully thin, but also wear really well. And like I said, they call what they make as premium essentials. I think of them as sort of luxury basics, if that makes sense. They're the clothes that you're going to gravitate to every day. You know, they're jeans, t-shirts, sweaters, but they're made extraordinarily well uh, and they are made of beautiful materials. And you can try Everlane out for yourself. Go to everlane.com slash friends. Again, that's everlane.com slash friends and you will get free shipping on your first order when you use that URL, everlane.com slash friends. We were talking about the fortuitous nature of this piece and Tanisi Coates' piece coming out back to back. Uh, there, and also that um, survey about how white people don't like the term white supremacy, but enjoy the benefits of it nonetheless. Uh, a couple other things happened this week that make this piece especially compelling um, reading. Uh, Jamil Hill at ESPN. Uh, I suspect my girl yes she was uh, right hashtag Jamel was right I love Jamel that is my that is uh like I love her she's mm. she's awesome for many reasons um I don't know what the overlap is with ESPN you know followers and um with friends like these listeners but the short version of this story is that she tweeted out some facts about Donald Trump like for instance that he's a white supremacist uh, and she got reprimanded by ESPN, which is like gross, but kind of like here I'll be like, I sort of see that, right? Like that is something that happens. Employers discipline their, you know, talent for sometimes bad reasons. The thing that's really weird and kind of horrifying uh, is that the White House came out and disciplined huh. Uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, the woman who's always on the verge of calling your manager, um, basically did that with Jamil, right? I mean, like she said, she said from the podium of the White House that what Jamil did was a fireable offense. So there's been a lot of people, you know, tweeting on her behalf. Um, there was one person, a couple of female sports writers I noticed asking, um, men at ESPN maybe to, to stand up for her. I don't know if anything has happened in that regard. Uh, but what, yeah, it's like, he, she's your girl, but now you go. Yeah. I love Jamel. I know Jamel. We, uh, you know, the black folk at ESPN, you know, you get to know each other. Um, and, uh, she's brilliant and it's, it's just, it's interesting. You know, I, it's like one of those clear things that black people, especially, uh, women of color, black women, you know, like are an easy target. Um, and like, like there were, there were magazine covers in the past month of Trump and uh, like, and like 
clan hoods, you know, like that was like a New Yorker cover. Yeah. And have you and if you watched late night television lately, I mean, have you? Yeah. Like no one like the White House didn't call for Remnick to get fired. Um, <laughs> you know, like I, I feel like this was this was like a very strategic, like pointed thing at Jamel because of because of who she is and how she looks. And I think it's this is one of those moments where like without any any proof like i i was i was a little worried at first i was like oh man like just having worked at a place like espn i couldn't tell if people coming out to defend her was gonna get her fired or maybe be the reason to help her keep her job you know like uh because espn is very much like a place that you know is often optics first everything else second and uh, it was nice to see like someone like a Michael Wilbon, like a very prominent black man at ESPN come out to defend her. Mm. Um, Brian Curtis at The Ringer, my former coworker, wrote a piece um, on Jamel uh, and, you know, Bomani was quoted in it. Bomani mm-hmm. Jones, who works at ESPN, was quoted in it. And, you know, it's it's. One, it's good that there there are black men coming to her support um, internally um, that that have power and leverage. You know, it's it also reminds me of um, some some stuff with Kaepernick. It's like like where are all the white folk at ESPN? Mm-hmm. And you know, like. It's a good thing when other black players come and kneel with Kaepernick. Like, that was a good thing. You know, where was everyone else? Um, I think, uh, you know, in my piece, the all the Baldwin quotes in, in my piece were from this one piece. Mm-hmm. Um, this Harper's piece, uh, Baldwin did a profile of uh, Martin Luther King in 1961. And I was kind of using that a lot in my piece as how to think about someone. And there's a quote in that piece where basically it was about how um, I'm blanking on the exact quote right now, but uh, it was, it was about how like the, the, the state of black America has been, has, is, has been benefited by well-meaning liberal white people like standing up and, you know, showing support. But when it like really comes down to those moments, like they're often absent from the bargaining table. Um, I believe the quote has something to do with like, we this, wouldn't get to the bargaining table without them, but when we get there, they're not there. Boom. There yeah. we go. Um, and this just is like watching how this situation played out. Like it just reminded me again. It's like my guy was writing this in 1961, you know, it's 2017, you know, we are in, much better position than we were in 1961, but there are still some common threads that are frustratingly still true. And um, it's it, it just bums me out um, the whole well, the whole thing because I mean, and not e- like I'm not even talking about. <laughs> I can't even believe you're using the, the term House. "bum out" because like that's I'm just it's, bummed it's, like, <laughs> it, it feels like such a soft soft thing but like I'm just I'm so I'm like too tired to be angry anymore or I'm just like that's also the, that's the headline out. for black America right I'm just tired yeah. like I'm 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 hunched over right now talking to you I'm just tired you know it's uh because you wonder what morning you're gonna wake up and um everything is different and you know that's never gonna happen um, and so it's like, okay. Well, I want to actually get so, to the, to the well-meaning white people as one myself. Uh, mm-hmm. you mentioned Chris Long in the piece. Uh, he's one of the few white players that's shown any measure of solidarity, um, with another kneeling play- player, uh, black, uh, Malcolm Jenkins. He put his arm around him. Yeah. Uh, and I think I guess I have a two-level question because on the one hand, like you just said, like where are the white players even in this symbolic moment, right? Uh, so do you think that that is an important next step 
number one. And then number two is, but also in the piece, you do point out that this, these are the symbolic moments and that white people could, you know, well-meaning white people need to be present in a more substantive way as well. And I wonder what kind of, it shouldn't, the burden should not be on you to give me instruction. I, I want to tell you that right now, like you were hunched over and tired and I don't want to add to your burdens, but at the same yeah, time, no. <laughs> can you point, can you, can you point me in some directions? Or is, yeah. is it just my job um, to just keep moving on? But let's 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 do players no, I, and symbolic stuff first. Maybe maybe that's an easier answer. Yeah, it has almost become a part of the career of many people of color to do things that put their job on the line constantly in the name of just like wanting shit to be better and like you make statements about. Like Jamel's not an idiot. Like she's she worked at ESPN a doing. long time. Like, yeah. like you know what you're supposed to say and what you're not supposed to say. But like, like it doesn't. Like, I, I guess like it's just become just the way things are that people of color like put their careers in question you know, future money in question, opportunities in question to stand up for something. That's just something we do. And that's just something white people don't do. But they like, y'all cheer us on. And it's like, I got your back. And I agree. But like, I'm, it's hard to tell anyone to, because everyone has, different lives everyone has different responsibilities everyone has different backgrounds it's hard for me to ever tell someone that they need to put start putting stuff on the line like making decisions that they don't know where um how how it plays out it could play out in their favor it could play out it could it could just backfire and you could crash and burn but well, I don't, no. I, you know what, I don't That's know. What that, I mean, that, I think you're being really diplomatic and I appreciate that. But on the other hand, like, we are, I've said this on the show before, but like. These are drastic we, times. We, like, these are, these these are, are the, drastic these times are, and drastic measures are called for. And if you think some kind of action, I, I've told the story before about my dad protesting with SNCC in Texas in 1963, right? Yeah. He he didn't think of it as extremist. Everyone else did. He thought of it as the right thing to do. I actually asked him about that recently because yeah. he was he got embarrassed that I told the story on the air. Because he <laughs> said to me, he was like, look, on, I didn't think it was that big a deal. <laughs> like, he was like, I didn't, you know, like, I was just like, this guy came to our Young Democrats meeting and he said, if we wanted to help, we could come show up at this place and there'd be signs. And I was like, well, how many of the other students showed up? And my dad's like, oh, well, it was me. And like maybe three or four others. And I was like, does that, do you, dad, like, does it mean anything to you that out of a crowd of like 50 or 60, you know, college students, three or four of you actually showed up? And he was like, yeah, I wondered at the time why there weren't more of us, you know? <laughs> well, I'll tell you because it was considered extreme, right? Like, but it was, it's so easy. Don't wait for the clarity of history. That's what I'm trying to say. Don't wait for the clarity yeah. of history. Like things are pretty fucking clear now. They 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 seem they seem crystal clear to me. Uh, <laughs> one of the reasons that I not to just keep coming back to Kaepernick, but I'll come back to no, Kaepernick. No, it, that's the story's um, about, and that's what he's a lens that yeah. all of this works um, to view it through. Yeah. But one of one of the reasons I'm I am impressed with him is that you know, like he he has lived a very interesting, unique life for a black person and a black person that turns into a like a, a black activist figure in the sense that it wasn't like he wasn't like born into this rich history of black activism the way lots of black people are where they're like you're right you're taught blackness and you're taught like about doing things that um like the importance of making decisions to make the world better for black people, you know, like that's how I was raised. And that's a lot, a lot of black folk are raised. That's why a lot of, um, 
you you get a lot of people like me who like feel this this charge, this call to duty when it comes to tons of professions, you know? And, you know, for him to get there is, for me, a great sign that it is, um, that you can have this awakening mm-hmm. and that you can, you can, later in life, you can realize that it's worth it to, you know, put it all on the line. And, you know, I think one of the, I think lots of people want to put it on the line, but they're just so deep in life of not doing it. It's a hard thing to jump into. You know, it's much less, it's, it's not, it it was never very hard for me to do it because I saw examples throughout my world. And I feel like I've been doing it since I was in high school. You know, I've been, I've, I grew up around black folk and white folk. And, and I, there were always moments where I had those crossroads and it's like, do I say this or do I just like try to just blend in with the crowd, you know? And so it's very hard for me to, I understand why the hesitation in doing anything, like I, there should be hesitation in, yeah, in, hesitation. in doing things. Sure, it, it, means, it means it. you're weighing, yeah. but you know, at some point, it's like like this moment of I just think it's clear that we're past the moment of assuming things are just going to work out. It's just not going to happen. And people of color like as we've been trying to do it on our own for a long time, we just can't do it on our own, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like we we can't. Uh we we it, it has to be a a, a a a team effort and the team has to grow and i think all of that starts with like i i use this example of rehab like going to rehab like i i use that example in the piece because there's like this like this this thing of like like you need to one of the reasons people don't aren't doing anything is because they don't want to admit that they have any, they're implicit at all, or like they don't want to admit or like face the problem head on. Cause again, it's uncomfortable. And I think it, you can't, you can't truthfully expect people to like take that leap of faith until they've done like two steps before that, which is just like internalize, like do that really deep, like soul crushing thing of being like, this is like really messed up and it can't continue. And I don't, I think a lot of people want things to be better, but like are again, are just like looking forward and like wanting things to be better without turning around and like looking at like the, like the harsh stuff that happened in our past and like looking at, how we got here and why that's so messed up. If you really internalize all the stuff that's happened up until this point, I think it's hard for a well-meaning person not to be like, fuck it. Like I will do anything to help save this country because it's so bad. There's so much bad stuff that's happened, you know? Um, But you gotta, you know, it's, it's gotta hit you. I don't think it's hit people hard enough. Magazines weave together great writing and beautiful photography to tell stories better, expand your knowledge, and simply entertain. National Geographic takes you further away. The Atlantic gets to the heart of the issue. People helps you relax. Wired and Vogue let you see the future. But the quality of magazines should be available anytime without needing to carry them around or have them clutter up your home. Well, now there's a better way to get to your favorite magazines, Texture. The Texture app delivers unlimited access to over 200 premium magazines. And right now, you can try Texture for free. Just imagine having your favorite magazines and their back issues anytime, anywhere. To start your Texture free trial, go to texture.com friends. If you choose to continue, podcast listeners will get Texture for just $9.99 a month. That's over $30 off their listed price. And there are great gift options to choose from. Why give someone just one magazine subscription as a gift when you can give them Texture? So go to texture.com slash friends and start your free trial. Again, that's texture.com slash friends. 
you know, it's funny. Um, listeners to the show will know this. I don't know if you do, but like, so I've been to rehab. You know, I'm an addict and alcoholic. <clears throat> and there is a lot that I've drawn from that experience in the way that I'm trying to work through being a white American today. And I think, you know, you, you, you touch on just the part about realizing you can't live this way anymore. And that's obviously, that is the important part, right? That's bottoming out. That's admitting defeat. Um, and in re, in reckoning with the surrender, you have yeah, to just surrender. Like, yeah, yeah exactly. surrender. Admitting like I was talking, yeah. I did a podcast the other day. Uh, this says who podcast and she, um, Maureen Johnson was like, I think she also made this metaphor, but she was liking step one is admitting you have a problem. And I was like, well, I hate to get all like AA splainy on you, <laughs> but actually step yeah. one isn't admitting you have a problem. Step one is admitting that you can't solve it by, by yourself. Step one is surrender. Yeah. That's um, the surrender. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing, one of the other things I think that's been valuable to me in looking at my, you know, spiritual growth and my growth as a, a person in this world that wants good things for other people is the concept like people think that in AA, like you apologize for what you did wrong in the past, you know, like you go on this apology yeah. tour and that's also not how it works. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't yeah. apologize. In fact, like what you do, it's, it, there's a difference between apologizing and making amends. You make amends and you're encouraged mm-hmm. to not use the words. I'm sorry. Because if you're an addict or alcoholic, you've probably already said, I'm sorry, a whole fucking lot. And it's meant exactly zero, you know? Yeah. And that's a, there's a parallel though for whiteness, right? Like white people are always saying, I'm sorry. What you say when you're doing this is you say, what can I do to make it better? What can I do to restore you to wholeness? I have wronged you in the past. This is how I've wronged you. And you're supposed to like be really explicit about your understanding of what happened. And you first ask, is that, is that, is my understanding of how I wronged you correct? You know, does it align with your understanding of how I wronged you? That's an important step too, right? Yeah. And then the next thing you ask is how do I make you whole? And that's the approach that white people need to make in this country not i'm sorry yeah and that parallel makes perfect sense because the thing that that can't continue is like that what goes right with the the over apologizing is saying i'm sorry i'm sorry i'm sorry it's just like trying to rush to the finish line Mm -hmm. that's like i'm sorry i'm sorry like this is bad like but it's it's really like i don't want you to be mad at me Mm -hmm. you know it's but it's like, no, I'm not worried about, like, don't stop thinking about how I feel about you. Like, let's figure out how to actually do this right this time. You know, let's I don't want America to relapse, you know. <laughs> well, and also there's an important there's an important intermediary step here, which is maybe a good place for us to kind of try to draw to an end, which is that you go on that. You know, setting, you know, the making amends tour. You you start to try and make yeah. amends. That's after you've surrendered. Um, but before you make amends, you come to a place where you believe that you can change and that you have some spiritual foundation that helps you uh-huh. helps to steady you when you f- face people saying, "Because this didn't happen, I don't forgive you, and you can't do anything to make it better." Yeah. And as a sober yeah. person, you have to just be like, you know what? That, okay. Okay. You're right. I can't do anything to make it better. And then you move on to the next. As mad as I was when I wrote this piece, I also was, you know, felt very, um, very like uh, measured. Um, like I wasn't mad at, I wasn't mad at white people. I wasn't mad at any sp- specific group of uh, people, I was just, I, you know, again, I think it was, it was less mad. It was just more, uh, fatigued. Um, but one of the realities that people need to understand is like, it's getting over this. I mean, to call it a hump is like a massive understatement, but like to, to actually make any progress is like, it's supposed to be hard. 
it's supposed to take work. You know, like it's not supposed to be like there's not a quick fix that is going to that is going to, you know, begin to rehabilitate this country. And I think coming like just accepting the fact, surrendering over to the fact that this process is going to take lots of work from everyone, not just like we're all going to sit around here while white people figure it out. It's like, no, it's going to take work from everyone mm-hmm. um, to move, finally move in like a sustainably progressive direction. Uh, and that, you know, I think it takes work to stop blaming yourself for things. I think it takes work to not feel shame and guilt about all this stuff. Like that's just not something that, um, it's going to happen over like one or two real good conversations with someone or like one or two big epiphanies or one or two, this or that, like this is just a, it's just a process. But I think it's until lots and lots of people begin that process, it's hard to, it's hard to be super optimistic about um, change happening because, you know, hard work is hard work. And I think, I'm, it's very kind of a white person of me to want to keep pressing you about, but what can I do? But what can we do? What can we do? Because I think that maybe in much the same way, like you, the steps are in order for a reason in AA, like we're still really in step one here, you know, and, and it's very addicty of me to want to get to the part where I make things better. Right. Yeah. But I think so yeah, many I of mean, us are still yeah. in the surrender phase. Like it's not fair to even ask, like, what can we do to make it better yet? Well, I would say the first place to start is like is to resist the impulse to ask people, "What can I do?" <laughs> yeah, what can I do, and who and who should I talk yeah. to? That's like that's the that's the yeah. worst one. Like, who should I who should I talk to? You know, it's like no, like you can't just send everyone to to me or Duray or you know, like like you, like you're you're that one black person. I've heard that sentiment almost as much as what should I do? It's mm-hmm. like, I just want to talk to like, what book should I read? You know, like what, like my answer to like, what book should I read? is like, <laughs> just start reading books, you know, just like read, you know, I, I, I don't, like, I, 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 it's. I would say if I could be, if I could be so bold, like I said, I, what I would also say, I'm being very bold in general, I guess. You don't need to ask people who to listen to or what to read. Um, People are already writing and talking, and you just have to listen if you're a white person, you know, like th- that's not mm-hmm. very fucking hard, you know, like you can Google it as far as like if you want to get caught up on how oppression works in this country, like it's not a mystery. It's right there in your face every day. And in fact, that is the thing that I think a lot of white people and I myself have a problem with is this the way that one's day to day privilege shows up seeing that not reading a book reading a book is easy you know yeah but it's also like because i've done this in aspects of my life too yeah you go read a book yeah. but also like right. you don't have to announce it to me that you're reading a book like I, I i know like there have been moments when um moments when i've uh i've been trying to like turn my life around and started exercising for example and like I would I would tell people like every day it's like you know I exercise I exercise and it's like I want you to think that I'm changing but I'm not comfortable yet to just do it on my own and I think without needing anyone else's validation because that is that is we're still at a point where we want people to know that we are quote unquote uh changing and that's another real addicty thing to do by the way, like that's a whole yeah, other. that's all that's all well and good, but like, can you go on those runs just for your own health? Can you do that? And like, like, can you just go read some books and really feel them and not need to like broadcast that? Like, I don't. I think we're not there yet, and I I hope people begin to get there because. You know, that is, it's uncomfortable to, to work on yourself, um, Mm -hmm. like alone. Uh, that's a, it's a lot of time in your own head and, 
I've been there and uh, I, I've never really seen any noticeable change in myself until I, um, I started doing things, started like developing routines that weren't purely to get validation from someone else that I was trying to prove a new me was happening. I have, again, like I, I know exactly what that's like, I think. And what I would offer is that it doesn't have to exactly be alone. It's just, you have to sort of think differently about what it means to be connected to other people. You have to let that connection be an idea Mm -hmm. and not necessarily getting validation from. Like you have to, you can feel connected to other people and know you are doing this for yeah. for good and noble reasons and not say it to everyone. <laughs> yeah. But your connect, your connection to other people will be strengthened by the things that you are doing, not by broadcasting your goodness, you know? Yes. Yeah. I agree with that. And I think that jump into the uncomfortable and the unknown, however that manifests itself is... Like, that's the only first, like, that's the only answer I have to what I should do to someone right now. It's like uh, a, a, a real self-discovery of the things that make you uncomfortable and just beginning to run full speed ahead into some of that stuff. Like, not knowing how it's going to work out, but, you know, I've done that my whole life. And typically the response, like, the what happens on the other side is typically it wasn't that bad. You know, I, you know, there's all these horror, like I, I'm, I'm someone that has lots of anxiety about what's on the other side. If I don't have complete control over the situation, or if I think that, um, someone's going to be upset or all, all of those things. And typically when it's like, you know what, this makes me uncomfortable, but I'm never going to get better unless I just go for it. Like not 99 out of a hundred times. It's like, that was not as bad as I thought. And that analogy is, I think very true when it comes to um, cultural and societal things in this country between people that just like, don't that type of person that you just like, don't have a lot of life experience about, or like that concept that you've never really thought about. Like, when you really kind of face it, it's like, you know what? That wasn't, that wasn't that bad. Like running into like the, the fire of discomfort. Like maybe I'll, maybe I'll try it again next week. You know, maybe that'll be our note to end on. Um, remember, <laughs> I really, really appreciated you coming on the show. Uh, I know you are tired. Um, and <laughs> that is because you did some really fucking good work. And thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for that work. And I want to remind you to take care of yourself. Something that's hard to remember to do this time of year when we're so encouraged to be acquisitive on behalf of others. But you are important in this world. And if you don't take care of yourself, you're not going to be a lot of good to other people. And of course, the most important reason you should take care of yourself. You are loved. We'll be back next year. 